You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Welcome for what is week one of our summer sermon series entitled, What Would Jesus Say? What Would Jesus Say? This is a sermon series that uh, every pastor is a little bit nervous to preach because, well, uh, you wrote it. (laughs) On Easter Sunday, we launched a form uh, for you to submit questions, questions you've always had in faith, questions you've always had for Jesus. Maybe these are topics that the Bible's not necessarily as clear about, or Jesus doesn't speak directly or explicitly on this topic, or maybe you're just searching for what is some ancient Jesus wisdom for some of our more contemporary modern-day problems. And so over the course of these next several weeks here this summer, we're going to engage all of those. Well, uh, almost all of them. Uh, We're only going to engage, uh, actually, the amount we could fit into the sort of short duration of this summer series. Uh, And so uh, that's because uh, some of, not only the limitation, but also because the nature of some of the questions. So, for example, uh, one of you posed a question of, like, what does Jesus think about Twinkies? (laughs) Number one, who deletes those? Number two... If Jesus is anti-sweets, uh, I don't want to know about it. So, um, no, but seriously, uh, Amanda and I were talking about this, and we're going to find creative ways that there's a bunch of questions we're going to engage over the course of this summer that you ask, that you post, and for those that we didn't get a chance to do so, uh, we're going to find some creative ways to answer those questions in written form, video form, so you'll see that, uh, so stay tuned there. But before we get to any of the questions... Today's sermon, today's uh, message uh, is really meant to serve sort of like as a primer, a primer. Before, because before we even ask the question of what does Jesus say or what does Jesus think or what is Jesus' sort of stance or view on this or that, the real question we need to start with is, are we even listening? Like, am I even tuned in? Do I even care what Jesus' wisdom, guidance, direction, opinion is on this, tap, this topic or the like, right? One of the misconceptions, I think, uh, in the church is uh, when it comes to uh, our listening and being tuned into the voice of God in our lives, I think one of the bad misconceptions we have in the church is that some people believe that uh, God either speaks to, A, certain people, so the super spiritual people in your life, the people who have been you know, raised in the faith or people who do this for a living, or... One of the other misconceptions is a God only speaks at very particular moments, which puts a lot of pressure because if you don't hear him that one time on that one Saturday, God's not coming back around again for three weeks or something like that. He's got, you know, a circuit to do. It looks kind of like this. It looks kind of like this. I think whether we admit it or not, a lot of us, uh, we fall into this sort of misnomer, this misconception that this month, for example, this month, There's only going to be a handful of times where God's going to show up in church or when I'm listening to worship music or when I'm reading a devotional or when I'm reading scripture and God's going to speak to me in that particular moment. There's only going to be a handful of those moments. But I got to tell you, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. There's a couple of scripture passages that stand out to me, first of which comes from the New Testament when Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing. 
We are to pray without ceasing. A mentor used to say to me that the goal in life is not just to have a prayer life, but to have a life of prayer. That eventually the goal is that I'm talking to God so much, I'm listening to God so much that there's not like only one time of the day or time of the week when I'm actually doing the spiritual thing, but it's all of it. It's all of it. Everything becomes spiritual. And overlaced on top of that is the, is the guidance we get from the Old Testament, specifically First Kings, that says that God's voice uh, is that still, small voice. One translation says it's like a still, small whisper. And so when I put those two things together, this isn't actually what's happening. This is what's happening. That, friends, God's speaking to us all the time. I believe that God's speaking to me all the time. God's trying to get my attention all the time. God's trying to whisper into the depths of my spirit, into the depths of my soul, things I need to hear, things I need to know, things I need to change all the time. But the blue marks are just so happen to be the few times each month when I'm actually open to it. Or to be even more honest, when I'm actually interested in what he's got to say. And I think Jesus knew this, man. I think he knew it. I think Jesus knew his biggest obstacle when he came to earth was not going to be his message. It was not going to be the content of what he was saying. Who would not get down with everything Jesus preached and the kingdom Jesus came to inaugurate? Jesus knew it wasn't going to be the content of his message. It was going to be simply being heard in the first place. That was going to be the biggest thing he's going to have to tackle which is where we get our parable for today. So if you have your Bibles with you or you have smart devices here with you and you want to follow along, go ahead and return back to the passage that Liz just read a couple moments ago. If you're watching this online, feel free to do so as well. We're going to be camped out here in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, uh, Jesus tells a parable. Uh, a parable, for those of us who are new to studying the Bible or still new to understanding the Bible, parables are these sometimes real stories, sometimes fictitious stories, but the stories are not, they're meant to sort of help you as the listener sort of figure out, okay, who is God talking about? Who's Jesus talking about? And where am I in this story? What character am I in this story? And so what does that mean for my relationship with God? So it's meant to sort of help you think about the real-life implications of where and how God's showing up in your life. And so he tells this story. He tells this parable of the parable of the sower, or the parable of the farmer who scatters seeds. And he says, so just to sort of get the lay of the land, in this parable, God's the farmer, the seeds are all the things that God tries to say to us, the things that God tries to do in us. It's all the moments that God's trying to get our attention and transform parts of and heal parts of our lives. And we're the soil. We're the soil. And there's all kinds of different types of soil, all different kinds of soil. So the soil is our, the status of our, our minds and, and our hearts whenever God's trying to speak to us and get our attention. Some of us are like the footpath. Some of us are like a, sort of like a rocky soil situation. Others of us have like a thorny sort of circumstance going on inside. And others of us are good soil. So we're being receptive. We're open. We're eager. We're hungry for what God's trying to do and say in our lives. Now, raise your hand. Are you, raise your hand if you're a green thumb person. You've got some sort of farming experience or gardening experience. Okay. Raise your hand if not. Okay. Raise your hand if uh, your entire front yard is just one big weed. Yeah. Yeah. True story, uh, two days ago, I took out my weed eater, and it was the first time I'd take it out in forever, because sometimes I'll just mow and forget to weed eat. I took it out, and my kids go, is that a rocket launcher? It's like, no. I use this all the, forget it, get out of my face. Most of us not, right? Here in 2022, 
if it's a hobby of yours, great, but for a, a lot, there's not a sort of like, there's not a lot of agricultural analogies we use nowadays. And so let's break it down. Let's break it down. What is Jesus talking about here when he says that some of us, our hearts and our minds are like the different types of soil? Let's start with the first one. Let's start with the first one. Jesus says that some of us, we're in places in our lives where our hearts, when it comes to God, are like the footpath. We're the footpath. These are those folks who, at this present moment, cannot hear what God is trying to say. Cannot receive uh, what God is trying to give to them. Why is that? Think of it. Think of a footpath. A footpath is hard. It's firm. It's dry. It's cracked. It's not meant to. It's not trying to receive life and nourishment and soil, right? It's meant for something else. And so some of us, we go into these seasons of life, maybe you're in this right now, where you can't even hear God speak to you, even if you wanted to. This was me in high school, by the way. In high school, uh, before I came to faith, I was, uh, so I grew up in a military family, so we moved in the middle of high school, so I lost all of my friends, and so I was lonely, I was angry, I was numbing all of my anger and pain with soccer and partying and drinking and girls and all the other stuff. I couldn't have heard God even if I wanted to. And quite frankly, I wasn't even interested. These are any time in our lives where we're going through something. Maybe for you, it was a time where you were really angry about something going on in your job or something going on in your family or in your marriage. Or maybe for you, uh, you're feeling really scared and insecure about something going on in your life. And so you're numbing and you're, and you're lying to yourself and you're lying to other people. In those seasons, our hearts and our minds can't receive what God's trying to say, what God's trying to do. It just bounces off. Now, there's another type that isn't so extreme. Another type Jesus talks about is not just those in the footpath, but sometimes our hearts and our minds are like the rocky soil, the rocky soil. And he goes on to explain it. He says, these are folks who they receive, maybe you, re you actually do receive uh, what God's saying to you. You're like, holy cow, like you hear something in church or you hear something in a podcast or you hear something when you're doing your devotions or some, someone says something you're like, that's God speaking to me. You hear it, you know what you're supposed to do, and you're excited about it. But then you start to learn about the implications and the sacrifices required of that, and you're like, Mm, nah, 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 These are the seasons where you know what God wants for you. And if you're honest, you do want that. You just want something else a little bit more. You want that promotion at work just a little bit more. You want that new house, that new car a little bit more. You want that new relationship a little bit more. You're Jesus is constantly getting your attention. You know what Jesus wants for you, what God's trying to say to you, but you're constantly saying, just like, hold on one second. I got a lot going on. It's just a really busy situation. Can I pencil you in for a Wednesday? Wednesdays are really light on the calendar. Yeah, Wednesday. Nine, 9.30, I want to sleep in a little bit. These are these moments when we, we hear, and maybe there's some part of us that wants what God wants, but we can't. We're unwilling to commit. And so as a result of that, we receive it, but it doesn't grow. It doesn't go anywhere. We're kind of moving in uh, progression. Uh, another uh, sort of spiritual condition we might find ourselves in is having sort of the, the thorns and the thistles in our hearts and our mind. Jesus goes on to say these are those who, uh, when we receive the things that God has for us, the word that God has for us, the wisdom and the direction that God has for our lives, we do actually receive it. We do receive it. We even let it grow some, but so quickly. So quickly, all the cares, all the concerns, all the anxieties, all the things you're worried about begin to crowd it out, crowd it out. And what happens is it stunts the growth of what God was starting in you. Sort of puts a ceiling 
on it. Puts a cap on it and says, nope, that's it, it's stopping. And so as a result of that, this is what it begins to look like. You hear what God receives, or you hear what God's saying to you. You hear what God's doing in your life. But then you begin to sort of like, as you reach the limits of your comfort zone, when God starts asking you to do things and sort of step out a little bit more, you reach the end, you say, ah, uh, so, like, yeah, 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 like, I, I want to do that, I want to be that, I want to, but like, I can't, you know, like, this is like, not, not that far, like, not, not that far. This condition, this stipulation, some, and most of the time, they're not even spoken. You never say this to God, but in your mind, we all have these limits, these boundaries that we've set up, that we are unwilling to go past, even if God asked us to do so. And I got to be honest, um, this one, um, this one haunts me the most. This one haunts me the most. I think this is probably the most common type of soil found in the church today. We get excited about what God wants to do in our life. We're even receptive to it. We're receptive to the healing and the forgiveness and the grace and the, and the courage and the things that God's instilling in our lives. But then we reach a place where it's not just, now it's not just consumer. I'm not just consuming this beautiful, wonderful gifts from God. But now God begins asking things of me. And I go, ooh, like that's, that's not really quite what I'm here for. Like the feelings of peace and like all of that and joy and all that. Like I'm here for that. Bathe me in that and then I'll go on my merry way. But like don't, I don't want to like do the things. It haunts me because I wonder uh, and I, and I, and I hope that when I pass from this life to the next, I don't realize that there was so much more that God could have done in me and through me. But I stunted it. I said, nope, this is as far as my faith plant is going to grow. And that's it. That's all I want from you. And so the million-dollar question that we're all here to ask is, okay, Kyle, that's great. So, like, how do we become the good soil? Like, that seems to be the message that Jesus is trying to say, right? Like, how do we cultivate in our hearts and in our minds a receptivity and, a, and an openness to what God's trying to say and what God's trying to do? How do I do that? Maybe not perfectly, because I can't do it perfectly. I'm not going to do it every day, but maybe I can get better at it. I can be more frequent at being more open and receptive to what God's trying to do in my life. How do I do that? And please hear me. I've yet to meet a Christian who doesn't want to be good soil. But it's harder to find people who are willing to ask the really hard questions that actually stir it and cultivate it in you. Kyle, what questions are those? The first of which is this. The first question uh, you have to ask yourself, we have to ask ourselves as the people of God, if we're truly serious, truly serious about hearing and experiencing more of God's life in ours is, number one, am I willing to be still? Am I willing to be still in my crazy, chaotic, busy existence? Am I willing to be quiet and still long enough to actually hear a simple, just a, an utterance of what God might want to usher in my direction? And this is where, like, this is another place where 
folks here in the church, we get, so, we get it, we, this misconception, we get it all twisted because part of what I will hear from folks all the time is they'll say like, well, Kyle, like, I, just can't, I would love to do that. I would love to pray more. I would love to commune more with God outside of church. But like, I'm busy. And, like, I don't know. I got so much going on. And I, got just, I can't just sort of like, leave my family and leave my job and hang out in a monastery for a weekend. Like, I just can't do that. And friends, I just want to assure you, okay, I want to comfort all of us here today that I actually don't think that that's Jesus' expectation. How do I know that? Because of how Jesus lived himself. Does the Gospels, do the Gospels say Jesus was born and when he came of age, he lived in a monastery for his entire life? If so, please point me in the direction of that chapter. Does he retreat every once in a while? Yeah. He gets annoyed with us and he, you know, went off to the wilderness to pray and to find peace and to find communion with God. But at the same time, we also find him praying at dinner tables and at synagogues and at temples and in the marketplace and people's homes. Sort of to say to us that the expectation God has of us is not that we have to withdraw from our lives to find God. But actually, the goal is bringing God into more and more and more of your life. That's the goal. Brother Lawrence, who is a... um, Ancient uh, theologian, he used to say this. He used to say, I'm starting to realize that the Christian life is just learning how to practice the presence of God. To start recognizing that God's with me all the time. God's speaking all the time. I just got to tune in more. Now, some of you, you're hearing this and you're like, that sounds great, that sounds wonderful, but Kyle, I don't even know where to start. So here's a place to start. Here's a place to start. Ready? This is my goal. This is my goal. So on a normal sort of rhythm, this is my goal. That daily, I try to be still and cultivate stillness 15 to 30 minutes a day. And some of you are like, geez, I thought a pastor was doing like seven hours or whatever. Maybe there are pastors out there who are doing that, but that's me. So daily, 15 to 30 minutes. Weekly, uh, I try to do 45 minutes to an hour of extended time away. This normally always happens on Saturday nights. So, before, so I do my preaching prep through dinner time, and then the last thing I do is I go for about an hour-long walk, which is just sort of like a spiritual reset for me to be with Jesus and to be away from my kids, you know, that sort of thing. So, and then yearly, yearly, I, do the, I have these sort of spiritual retreat pockets and periods, and they typically happen in the summertime and the week after Christmas where I'll take a day or I'll take two, and I spend some really intentional time trying to hear what God's trying to say about my life and the direction of my life and where I'm going. And friends, you can do whatever version of this you feel like is faithful to you. But here's the thing I want you to see. While these last two require some sort of withdrawal or retreat from my life, the first one always, you want to know where it happens? Again, Maybe you're just like, this is like ripping the curtain away. Uh, but most of the time, this happens in the car, in the shower, when I'm going for a run, or when I'm making peanut butter jelly sandwiches. 95% of the time, that's where that occurs. So find that pocket for you. Find that space for you. If you live in this area, you have at least a 15-minute commute. With traffic now, the Lord doubled thy blessings and tripled thy blessings and you have an abundance of time to be with the spirit so find it find it you got it find it use it it's there now maybe you're here you're listening to this and you're like that's actually not my problem like Kyle actually I know the time spots I know like I know when I got the spot like the time to be still and to be quiet 
I just don't um, like know what to do when I've got it, right? Some of you, listen, you're, you and Jesus are, mm. so you guys like go for walks and you hold hands and you talk to him like your best friend. And that's wonderful. That actually is really, really awesome. Some people have no problem conversing with Jesus. Jesus is their best friend and they can talk to Jesus in that way. Some of us just need a little coaching, we need a little guidance, we need a place to start. And if this is what I always say to folks who are looking for a place to start with their prayer life, if you find yourself in a season of life right now where you need to sort of rejuvenate your prayer life, try this. This is not the only tool out there, but try this tool. Try what I call the triangle prayer. Triangle prayer. So let's say you got 15 minutes to work with. 15 minutes to work with. Starting on the left, spend the first five minutes releasing. Releasing everything you're worried about, everything you're frustrated with, everyone you have conflict with, all of the things that are sort of gnawing at your mind, they live rent-free in your brain, and it's there all the time. Cast all of your cares and concerns upon the Lord. Use the first five minutes to release those things so that the next five minutes you can actually receive. You can actually listen. You can actually hear for what God may want to say to you in that moment. Now, maybe you're you're like me, and your brain starts to get all finicky and crazy when it gets... Uh, still and quiet, you start thinking about all your to-do lists and bananas you got to buy at the grocery store and like all that kind of stuff. So like maybe for you, you need to start, you're not ready to do that yet. Maybe for you, you got to start with something a little bit more constructive. And so maybe that's the time where for five minutes you read scripture, you listen to worship music. If you're struggling with forgiveness or if you're struggling with peace, if you're struggling with trust, find passages of scripture that speak to that topic and spend five minutes just listening and saying, Jesus, if there's a word or a phrase that you want me to really take with me today, like just make it pop off the page. Make it pop off the page. And so that lastly, fifth and, or third and finally, you can use those last five minutes to then re-engage. Ask the question, what now? What now? God, now that you've said this to me, how, what does this mean practically for how I need to now re-engage my wife or my job or my kids or this conflict I'm having with my parents, whatever it is for you? What now? And what you'll find is if you put this into practice frequently, you'll find your heart and your mind a little bit more open, a little bit more receptive. It'll get easier. You won't be good at it at first, I promise you. You'll get so daggum distracted the first 17 times you do it. But don't beat yourself up. Keep practicing. Keep doing it. Now, two more. So there's two more questions. And I hate uh, to be the bearer of bad news, but that was the easy one. (laughs) That was the easy one. If you are serious about wanting to hear and commune more with God in your life, you not only need to ask the question, am I willing to be still? You need to ask the second question, uh, am I willing to be changed? Am I willing to be changed? Am I willing to make space for Jesus to say something to me that I don't like, that makes me feel uncomfortable, that I did not see coming, or maybe I don't even know if I agree with? The Pew Research Center found this. They found that when they interviewed uh, Americans, they found this. They found that only 14% of Americans have ever changed their minds on a big social or political issue. Now, does that mean that we're supposed to just sort of like constantly be changing our minds based off what Facebook says or the news says or whatever? No, no. But what it does say to me, it reaffirms for me my suspicion that most Christians out there see themselves 
only as defenders of truth instead of discoverers of truth. And it's not either or, right? It's both. It's both. There are a ton of truths in our Christian faith that we need to defend. Amen? And there's a bunch of stuff that I don't know. There's a bunch of things about God that the infinite, majestic God of the universe has yet to reveal to me. And if I'm only a defender, never a discoverer, I may just miss out on God himself trying to show something to me. I'll give you a biblical example of this. Acts chapter 9. Uh, some of you know the story of when Saul became Paul. To give you the rundown, here it is. Uh, in the New Testament, there's a guy by the name of Saul whose job was to go around, wrangle up Christians, find these new believers of Jesus, and arrest them, and then sometimes have them killed. So he was a persecutor of the faith and was, thought he was being faithful, thought he was, being, like, he was doing right by God. So he was out there justified in his cause. He played an intricate role in early time of Acts, uh, getting Stephen stoned to death. Like, G, uh, like Saul plays this, he is hellbent in his ways. Of the, They have to be stopped. They are not who God has called them. That's not right. Jesus' way, that's leading him astray. And then he has this moment. He has this moment where this vision comes to him as he's riding on the way to Damascus, blinds him, knocks him off of his horse, and it changes him forever. He sees, holy cow, this Jesus that I've been riding off, who's just, he, he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors, and he's too gracious and loving, and blech, where's all the legalism? Yeah. Like, this Jesus who I've been bad-mouthing and criticizing and persecuting is the one. He's it. And he goes on to become one of the most influential figures in Christianity. Now, the Bible doesn't say this. The Bible doesn't say this. But have you ever wondered, maybe it's just me, have you ever wondered if Saul was God's first choice? Like, what if it looked like this? What if there were like a bunch of other people? Larry is my favorite, right there in the middle. <laughs> what if there were like a bunch of people that God went to first? A bunch of religious leaders, a bunch of super spiritual people in the first century. What if Saul, who becomes Paul, was simply the only one out of the lineup, the only one who said, okay, okay, this changes everything I've ever known. This changes, this fundamentally changes everything I've ever believed about you. But I'll bite. I'll follow. Because I think you're it. I don't want to pass from this life to the next and realize that there were, God had to pass me over so many times because I was just so closed-minded or fixated on this particular view of myself or other people or of him. So that's the second question. And the third one's the hardest. If you're seriously committed, if you seriously want to hear more, to commune more with God in your life. Not only do you have to ask yourself the question, am I willing to be still? 
not only do you have to ask yourself the question, am I willing to be changed? But thirdly and finally, and we hate this with our schedules and I calendars and Google calendars, am I willing to have my plans interrupted? Am I willing to have my plans interrupted? Am I willing to set aside all the things that I think are the most important thing I ought to be pursuing after and just make space? that maybe that's not. I gave that a biblical example of this. You know what the only difference is between the disciples who end up following Jesus and the characters in Luke chapter 9? So in Luke chapter 9, some of you know the story. In Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus goes into this city, and immediately all these people see him coming, and they're so jazzed about it. They're like, oh, here he is, here he is. He's coming, he's coming. Let's go, let's go. Hey, we're going to follow you. Like, we're in. We got, like, I got Timothy, I got Steve. Like, we're all coming. Wherever you want to go, we're with you. We've heard about you. We're down with it. We believe in the cause. We believe in the movement. So, like, whenever you want to leave, like, we're here. We're good. We got no commitments. And Jesus is like, that's great. That's wonderful. Because actually, this was just a quick pit stop, and now we're leaving. So come and follow me. And immediately, a bunch of them, one by one, just start to go, oh, um, I got to... take care of some stuff, like, uh, real quick. Um, like, in modern day, it would be, like, quick target stop. I'll even do target pickup, but I got to do a quick stop real quick because I got things to do. Like, I, 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 got, I got some things I need to take care of. But then, like, can we do, like, a 7 p.m. ETA? Can we do, like, a, something like that? Uh, so they, one by one, they start putting all these conditions upon it. I got to go back and tend to this. I got to go back and do this. I got to go back and do this. And Jesus says this. No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for God's kingdom. Now, that might sound harsh, but here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that probably one of the biggest obstacles, probably one of the biggest risk factors to your and my faith. That's why you come to church, right? You come to church to hear, like, what are the risk factors? Like, you go to the doctor to learn about the risk factors with your physical health, right? They tell you about all the red meat you can't eat and how you should stay away from sugar. You know, all the things that bring, I don't know, happiness and joy uh, to our existence. You come to church to learn what are the risk factors to my faith, my relationship with God. And friends, I'm telling you, the more I follow Jesus the more I'm coming to understand that the biggest risk factor to mine and his relationship, it actually isn't like corruption or evil or the powers of darkness and hell. It's busyness. Busyness, dude. So dang busy to pay even an ounce of attention his direction. Raise your hand if you've uh, read the book, The Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis. Okay, handful of you. If you've not read it, uh, it's a really fascinating book, really fascinating book. It's uh, a fictitious book, but it's written from the point of view of a, a, a senior-level demon is writing letters to, like, a young apprentice demon, coaching him on all the strategies and tactics he ought to deploy to send his patient you know, us human beings, off course to get us out of the groove, to send us astray and wandering away from Jesus. And there's a particular part of the book that I find just the most compelling and the most convicting. He says this. He says this about busyness. 
and you know, small little ploys, small little tactics of keeping us busy and keeping us away and keeping us sort of distracted from the voice of God. He says this, you'll say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man or the woman from the enemy. Now, who's the enemy in this? It's God. It's all that matters. He goes on to say this. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man or the woman away from the light and out into what he calls the nothing. Murder is no better than cards. Cards is old-timer language for uh, gambling. Murder is no better than gambling if gambling will do the trick. Here's the key part. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Kyle's edition, without obvious warning. Now I'll close here. You want the good news? Who's here for the good news? You want to hear some good news? Come on now. Here's the good news. The good news is that the God that you came into this church to worship today is not one who comes in your direction, drops seeds, drops little pieces of grace, drops little pieces of love in his presence, and when we fumble them, when we don't receive them, when they bounce right off of us because we ain't interested, this God does not then go, okay, Good luck, see you later, good riddance, and bails on us. The God that we have in Jesus, and this is the part of the gospel that for the rest of my life I will always struggle to comprehend that he truly would love us that much, that he would pursue after us that far, but the God that we have in Jesus is the farmer who comes back again and again and again and again until our hearts and minds are just saturated, saturated with his unbelievable love for us and his pursuit after us and his commitment to us, even when we don't replicate it over and over and over again, until we can do no other than say, holy cow, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Okay, I'll try your way. I'll receive what it is that you have. I'll take it right now. And friends, today, I don't want you to miss the opportunity because today is one of those opportunities. Are you going to get another one? Yeah, because that's how good God is. But maybe today when you came into church, you were like, gosh, that is me. Like, I'm so, I've been so resistant. I've been so sort of, I've had all these stipulations and conditions around my faith and how willing, how far I'm willing to go with this Jesus. I've, I've had all these sort of things in my life that I, I do want Jesus, but if I'm truly honest, I want this a little bit more. I've got a little bit more affection for this. Maybe you came into church today and you're still there. You're still there. God hadn't worn you down quite yet. But some of you came in and you worn down. You're like, I don't want to do this no more. Like, Jesus, I want what you want. And if that's you, then don't wait another second. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. 
make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.